mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I'm Alec, and I am joined, of course, by my brother Lucas, who I feel like would be the optimal boy band member. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why that is not the case. (laughs) You don't think that you're just like a generic pop star type... uh, Pure wow. white bread, very family friendly, everyday Super person. family I feel friendly. Like... Super family friendly. I feel like producers and I would get along really well. We'd have like a really similar creative list image. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, you would really enjoy just creating a basic formula with like no creativity whatsoever, just artificially designed to make that perfect song. I can picture it, man. You know what's funny is I'm joking about that, but like in all honesty... It would make you a lot more money as a musician. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I, Just saying. Listen, I don't want to bury the lead um, because <laughs> there's a lot that I want to talk about with that. Um, the episode that we're talking about today is called Boys Crazy. And, you know, as a couple of adult men, we might look at a title like that and be like, um, Absolutely is this going excited. to be the best? Super in my alley. <laughs> this is exactly what we want. We're two boys. We're also obviously boy crazy. Anyone who's not is clearly a punk, so that's that. Yep. You know, all I have to say is that this episode blew my expectations away. I forgot how good it was. Um, I forgot about a lot of it. I did not remember this episode at all. I, I remembered that there was the boy band, and that was about it. Like, I, I think I have probably only saw this one time in the series. Because I don't remember it. And- I, I mean, I remember seeing it, but I barely remembered anything. Especially some of the awesome details I'm excited to talk about. Well, and bro, I think that this is one of the episodes for me that having a more detail-oriented approach to viewing it and having to take notes made me appreciate it way more. And I don't think that's been the case for every episode. I think a lot of the time it's more fun to just sit there and watch. But I didn't realize how much awesome stuff is going on here. And I I don't know, man. I think it was one of my favorite episodes that we've watched so far. Wow, that's... See, uh, overanalyzing is something that I always quite enjoy, so whenever there's, like, complicated stuff going on, I like it even more, so I agree. <laughs> this sure, was great. It's not even that a lot of it was complicated, so much as when you really start thinking about it, and think about, like, uh, some of the messages, I guess, or, like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Sort of being able to really sociologically unpack it is basically what I'm going for. There's a lot of... um. I think, just stuff that's ripe for discussion. Yes, indeed. Uh, and let's get into that, because I just remembered something I really wanted to talk about and ask about, because it crossed my mind, but we're not going to get there for a second. <laughs> Great. All right, well, let's waste no more time, because the cold open is Wendy and Dipper laughing at some security footage from the Mystery Shack. Dubbing security footage is a funny idea, you know? Like, look, I liked that. That was clever. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be hilarious. And then immediately Dipper made it cringe. And I was like, ah, this is, this is one of those. I forgot. I forgot this is one of those. Maybe that's why I didn't watch it a second time. Don't worry. I end up liking the episode, everyone. I do like end up, I do end up liking the episode, but I thought it was cringe in this moment. Well, (laughs) because even though there was kind of a Dipper Wendy thing happening, I think this was not quite the same as the other ones that we've gotten up to this point. Uh, The story moved forward and Actually, it was more of a Dipper Robbie thing, which you said that you liked more the last time that we got more of a Dipper Robbie episode. So I don't know if that helped. Or maybe you still thought it was terrible. I don't know. I haven't found out yet. I think there were two supremely cringy moments in this episode. And this was one of them. This first one was one of them. I don't think this first one was as bad as the second one, though. But we'll get to that. Fair. 
We will. Uh, so Mabel laughs at Dipper for acting weird, uh, you know, calls it like she sees it. But meanwhile, she's acting weird herself and dancing, basically asking them, oh, why do you think I'm dancing? Well, Lucas, that is because her favorite boy band several times is performing and her, Grenda, and Candy are gonna go see them. Uh, one of their names is Deep Chris. That's all I have to say about that. Perfect. <laughs> and we'll leave it there. Uh, Ridiculous Dipper says that <laughs> It really is. Uh, Dipper says that all of them are fake, which... You know, I guess that's a word that we throw onto a lot of people like, oh, they're so fake. Like, it's not genuine is what that's supposed to mean. And I think that's probably what Dipper means, too. You want to know something funny? I actually took a class when I was in my undergrad um, called, uh, what was it? It was a class about subcultures and the idea of deviant cultures and like subcultural waves amongst typically American culture was what we were focusing on in the class, right? And Mm -hmm. this whole concept of authenticity is it's one that comes from the core values and idealism of a of a movement of an art movement or a subculture or whatever it is and then as soon as it gets popularized you know you have uh cultural diffusion and thus the core base doesn't have that same thing to share anymore so then everyone gets mad because it changes into what's not their identity and it happens all the time and this is just what's happening in the music industry yeah. No, that, that's an amazing point. Like, I remember loving Mumford and Sons because uh, they would always use, like, banjos and fiddles. And as soon as they did an album that didn't have that, I was like, oh, man, like, I feel like they've sold out a little bit. But then a new audience comes along, finds them for the first time, and, like, this music is great. And I've had that same experience for others where I'll hop into album four. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I see all of their fans complaining about how it's not like the original stuff. Um, so and, it is and- cool. That's why Alex Hirsch is smart, because there's not a second Gravity Falls series. Oh, wow. (laughs) Hey, there you go. Um, What's interesting, too, is, is, you know, it could mean that he literally means they are fake, like the music is not them, because there have also been artists in the past that have, you know, used auto-tune, or basically they have no talent whatsoever, but they are being used by the recording industry as a vessel to try to, like, promote the stuff. I think um, being being a vessel is, is a talent. Being on stage is a vessel, right? I, I could not do that. I could not do I could not just lay down all of my morality and consciousness and be a puppet. Like, you actually have to try in a way to do that, right? Right? Sure, yeah. Well, but regardless of what he means in this case, Wendy yeah. actually has maybe my favorite quote of the whole episode, getting right in the beginning, which is, they're just a manufactured product of the bloated corporate music industry. <sighs> I'm so glad you wrote that. I wanted to write that. I couldn't find to do it fast enough. Yeah, I decided to rewind to take it down because I was like, oh man, Wendy just spitting out some wisdom here, surprisingly. Uh, And and that is in character for Wendy. You know, she is that alternative type who would value um, more authentic, if we're going to call it that, right, music. I mean, she is right. (laughs) Right. yeah. And and I mean, the artificialness of how music is created and how it hits the radio and needs to be designed a certain way to like reach people's earbuds is very much a real thing. Um, I think where it's coming from is that people think that the music is cultivated for a bot audience, which it is instead of it being like something that's like actually passionate art, you know? Yeah, but it's also complicated because even those people who we might think are passionate artists, they might just be hitting our earbuds the right way. And that's the kind of music that we are prone to like, even if it's not the typical radio stuff. Well, yeah, I think 
I think it's the audience's feeling of passion that ends up making a difference, you know? I mean, not that we can't, I mean, we could judge the artists and, and how their mindset was creating it all that we want, but if people like it, people like it, you know? <laughs> sure. I, and that's why, like, I, there is so much to talk about here. You and I are both very passionate about music. Um, I think largely because our father isn't was like a professional musician basically for our entire life. That was his main thing that he did. And, um, you know, I definitely think that we had it instilled in us a little bit, like what is good music and what is bad music. And as an adult, I've sort of come to appreciate that there really isn't good and bad. <laughs> at least not. In, obviously, there's some people that are very talented at certain things and some that maybe aren't. But I think that it's okay for music taste to be subjective and for different people to like different things for different reasons, regardless of whether it's the music industry force-feeding it into people. I think if you're one of those, uh, this is my comment on that. Because I, I was one of these people for a long time, and I'm sure most people are or have been. But if you're one of these people that says, oh, I like every genre except X, that's, that's your cultural bias breathing down your neck. And I recommend shaking that because there's, I guarantee you there's good musicians within whatever category that you've decided to factor out. <laughs> yeah. It's usually country. Like, it's usually country. <laughs> people say that. that is I'm just calling people Sometimes say. it's EDM or electronic. It's usually country though. <laughs> yeah. Or I hear or rap disco. a lot. Or disco. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, and it's okay. You don't have to like every genre. It's just, um, I, I think that it's probably wrong to say that music is explicitly bad. Like those people are not talented when in actual, it's just maybe something that you don't understand. It's a genre that you're not as familiar with. Well, and also like talent is relative a lot of the time, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, like the skills that it takes to be an artist, like an electronic artist or be a DJ, for example, are just different than the skills that it takes to be a guitarist. So, like, a really skilled guitarist looks different from a really skilled DJ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I different. mean, that's an excellent point. Yeah, different skill caps and different, like, strategies and ways to be creative for different art forms that have had different levels of exploration. Because a lot of electronic stuff is really new, too, and people don't appreciate how much, theoretically, there's, like, there is to expand upon it, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I can speak from my experience. What I really appreciate out of music and I consider to be great is something that sort of evokes emotion or is very creative. Basically something for me that has intentional songwriting. Um, What's your favorite band, Alex? That, so classic band would be the Beatles. Modern band would be the head and the heart. And they're a folk band that, wow. um, how do you set? Where's the, where's, where's the line in the sand for, uh, what, what year do we do that? They're that very God, separate, you, so you don't have to gray that area, but... It's hard to know. I, the truth is, I actually do listen to a lot of different genres, and more so even now as an adult, I've sort of started realizing that there are things to be admired from other things that I didn't used to like. Um, but I tend to lean in the classic rock, alternative, folksy type thing. That That's the music that I am prone to enjoy the most, and I think it's because a lot of it feels heartfelt to me, that it hits me in a place that, um, you know, resonates with my culture. Um, yeah. And that's what art is supposed to do, right? Or I shouldn't say supposed to, but um, that tends to be what people resonate value. with in their own... Yeah, or they value whatever resonates with their own cultural upbringing. And I think that's a beautiful thing about art, is that there can be something for a lot of people. And in my opinion, the more people that get represented in that type of media, um, the more fruitful the art, uh, the art culture is as a whole. Uh, you know, I just love that we're sort of in an era where we're getting more and more variety about all kinds of different music, shows, everything. 
at the expense though, see this comes full circle, at the expense of having boy bands like this. Cause if it wasn't for those, if it wasn't for those sellouts that are making way more money than anybody has any right to, we would not have a booming music industry like this. You know what I mean? Well, well way to bring it back because Grenda, Candy, and Mabel are all getting ready in the room as we proceed with the episode. And we find out that this boy band that they like seem to all be carbon copies of each other. They are just the same person five different ways. I think one of them has a goatee. Um, <laughs> but my favorite band is Green Day, by the way. Thank you for returning the question. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Man. Sorry, man. I, it wasn't a real question for me because I already knew the answer. I think that you wow. genuinely weren't sure. No, I genu- I knew the answer was the Beatles, for sure. Oh, man. Well, you I didn't still, know the uh, head and the heart would be second, actually. Well, it's hard because I put music in different categories. Like, it's hard for me to compare the Beatles and the Head and the Heart because they represent different generations to me. Um, so I almost, like, don't even put them you can't, on you put the them same separately. type of... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, look, I can name a bunch. I'm really into AJR right now. I think they've got amazing stuff. See, uh, and that's see a- I, have, I have a right now favorite band, too. You know what I mean? Like, I have my, like, go-to favorite band that it's been that way for a while, but then I have the band I've been listening to the most right now. Mine's Queens yeah. of the Stone Age. Wow, okay. I'm actually surprised to hear that. I know that you uh, started liking them for a while. You heard the first song on Guitar Hero when we were little, and uh, yeah. I guess it's taken off from there. Yeah. Um, see, <laughs> we have lots of memories. Sorry, um, I-, I wanted to stay on that tangent. We could continue the story. <laughs> No, actually, uh, speaking of Queens of the Stone Age, uh, we break this up because Robbie walks in with, uh, I, I guess he, he has this song that he's written for Wendy, but it is on the heels of him asking Wendy to go to Lookout Point. I wrote down that it was Makeout Point. I bet that got censored and changed to Lookout Point. I thought it was Makeout Point, too, because I heard Makeout Point the first time, but then he said, look, did he say Makeout Point the first time and then changed it to Lookout the second I thought so, but now I'm not sure. Now I'm not sure either. Somebody can correct us in Discord or something. People have been doing that, and it's really awesome, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, I want to talk about one of those later if we have time. Yeah. Um. So the thing is, Wendy totally does not want to go to make out lookout point with Robbie because apparently he stood her up last night, and she's mad, and she actually starts to initiate a breakup, and Dipper to the side is getting super excited. Um. But yeah, now, Robbie pulls out this song. Go ahead. I will say, I did not think that Dipper's excitement there was cringe. I thought that was like so extremely understandable. Because like, even if you can admit to yourself that you shouldn't chase after somebody, you're still going to be stoked if they break up with a shitty boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, you're Sure, still it was a genuine reaction. Like, yeah, that was, and, and I was like, cool, that that was nice. Um, Actually, the, the reason that I don't like this is different this episode. I think Robbie is the worst. I literally hate his guts this whole time. Yes. So let's talk about that because he hypnotizes Wendy with this song. He takes this dark looking CD out. We don't actually know if that's true. That is definitely not for sure. I think it's pretty, I think that the editors are trying to tell the audience, hey, he's hypnotizing her right here. And Dipper interprets it that way. Uh, But I do think that it's implied with the way that the CD looks especially creepy um, now, there isn't anything, like, mystical around Wendy's eyes or anything yeah. that uh, indicate that there's any kind of magic thing happening, but it is, I, oh, no. you know, it's, you're actually making me think. Is there Nor- any world where this has always been fake? Maybe there was no hypnotized? There was no spellbinding effect at the end of it, and there was no follow-up on the spooky origin. Hmm. But, okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah. 
Dipper saw this weird CD. He calls out Robbie after uh, Wendy's gone, I think. Um, but him and Wendy walk out and Dipper takes out the CD to investigate. Yeah, if Robbie actually had a magical hypnotized CD, would he have left it in the thing in the mystery shack with Dipper there? No way, dude. Honestly, I can't believe he possible? left it anyway. But Is it still. possible that he he just didn't know, maybe? Like I, I, I we'll keep going. I don't think he I don't think that she was hypnotized the whole time. I don't okay. think it had anything well, to do with that. I think that was actually a bait. That's my guess. Interesting. Well, back to our A plot. Um, Grenda, Candy, Mabel go downstairs and they say that they think that Dipper is insane when he tries to tell them this theory. And I would too. I'd be like, okay, dude, you really just need to stop. You know, I get that you're obsessed with this girl, but there's no brainwashing happening. That's ridiculous. Also my um, business. Sure. Um, but anyway, they go off to the venue, uh, to the concert that they're going to see. Old man McGucket is there and very excited. That was kind of weird. That was and, super funny. Yep. The tickets, however, are sold out. They did not get them in advance, and you definitely got to do that if there's a major concert. Oh, yeah. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, that, that was rough. I actually wrote that down, too. I was like, how did you not plan for this in advance? This is a boy band. You got you to get even, those online. That's right. But even so, Mabel is not discouraged. She wants to find a way to get backstage. And... While they're working on that, we do see, like, a little uh, scene of the boy band singing, and <laughs> this is a great little scene for me. I didn't want to gloss right over it, because I think there's a moment where one of them just stares at what, or, like, the whole audience, and is like, we do this for you specifically. Yeah. And not, all not the, the girls girl sitting to the left of you, you. It brought me to a Bo Burnham song. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. 100%. Where he... He plays on this idea, you know, Bo Burnham is a comedian, singer, if you don't know. And you know, he himself says that some of his early stuff doesn't hold up super well, but this specific song is great. And could you, could you remind me exactly uh, what he goes, or where he goes with that? Bo Burnham? Yeah. I, no, because I think it's relevant. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the lyrics. I like it that, I like it when you have a smile that you smile wide, and I like that your arm has, or is, I like that your torso has an arm on either side. Remember that? Yeah, it's just like, yes. he says a bunch of extremely generic things. Um, her fingerprints are like no other. I love their eyes oh. and their bluish, brownish, greenish color. <laughs> That's right. Ah, oh, you're so good. See, this is why I asked, because I know you got it. But, but anyway, it does play on this idea that many of these lyrics are designed to try to appeal to as many people as possible. And, you know, even if you like boy band music, which is totally fine, there's actually some boy band music that I like. I think One Direction is a little bit over uh, underrated. There, I said it. I think um, the Jonas Brothers are a little underrated. I'll say that, too. I, okay, no, there you go. And uh, Jesse McCartney. But no, but I don't actually think that. I just like them because I grew up with them. I know they're garbage. But um, the thing is... well. Yeah. I, okay, I, I, that, that backtracks my whole point. I'm just making a joke. But you know what I mean? Like, I know what I... I'm eating junk food. You know what I mean? I'm not going to call candy cuisine, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, but it does feed into this idea that, you know, some genres, they're sort of there so that they can hit people on an emotional level, but as many people on an emotional level as possible. Um, yeah. And these girls in the audience, and I think McGucket maybe too, are like fighting over this. Hey, you know, everybody gets hit differently. That's right. <laughs> you know, I remember uh, John, uh, yeah, John Mayer saying something about like, you know, none of my favorite songs on any album are going to be the popular ones because we intentionally write the popular ones to be popular. That's how we sell the album. That's how we make the money. 
you know? That's fascinating. And, and the thing is, man, like, even, even like, you know, Banana Pancakes was a basic-ass song, but everyone likes it. Different guy, but you know what I mean. Okay, dude, but Jack Same Johnson, subgenre. come on. It's Jack Johnson. That's a great song, though. Um, and Banana Pancakes is like a weird concept, so I feel like it's a little bit quirkier. See, oh, we could argue yeah. about music all day. <laughs> it's a weird concept. No one's ever wanted to s- stay in bed and not go to work and hang out with the person they're dating. No one's ever felt but, that. Super, super weird yeah, concept. Dude, okay, but Jack Johnson is a whole vibe, okay? Dude, um, it's like... It, but <laughs> I, he, I'm just saying, man, like, it, it sells the album, you know what I mean? Like, it well, I see what you're saying. Jack, Jack Johnson himself, just like John Mayer, would say... Um, oh yeah, my favorite songs are the more obscure ones, and I'd say that for our favorite artists, we would even say the same. Yeah, I would uh, say right? that. As, I as definitely a feel that creator way. myself. None of my most popular, literally anything that I've ever created, has ever been my favorite. <laughs> fire, spinning, I guess that's true for the channel too. Yeah, yeah, YouTube fire spinning essays, even in school. Like, nah, dude, all my favorite projects are always stuff that, and usually it's because it, it, usually the artist appreciates something more because there's more artistic um skill put into it and the thing is when there's more artistic skill put into something it's harder for the general audience to appreciate so it just kind of makes sense that that would be that way you know yeah no i see what you mean it's not necessarily inherently bad but it's just a reality yeah it's like Um, a disconnect like like if you're if you're a skateboarder and you do the craziest skateboarding trick on the planet mostly only other skateboarders are probably going to appreciate it but if you do a big triple backflip everybody thinks it's sick right you know, it's like oh, showy. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you get me. Totally. These little intricacies that get thrown in there. It's like, oh, I hope that people notice that. And yeah. you know that there's a very small subsection of people that will. Yeah, um, and the basic audience is like, do a backflip, do a kickflip. <laughs> sure. But that's why it's even more hysterical to me that backstage we get Mabel and Grenda. And they, they find this room of cloning tubes. And all of the boys from this band are in there in a hamster cage and they're basically acting as if they are hamsters. You know, they're like part human, part animal. They're clones. Yeah. They've been grown by a producer to be the perfect boy band, which is so funny. Like, this is just a funny, like commentary on society or on, you know, you you get it. It's, it's, it's so heavy handed, but it's really funny. (laughs) Yeah. What a phenomenal concept. And, you know, we don't need to tell you what the message is again, because we've already been talking yeah. about it at length. But I love it. I really it's do. It's funny. I, I do, too. It, it's very funny. Uh, Mabel frees them. Do we have to go into more detail about that? I mean, I think the biggest detail there is that this producer walks in after they hide. Um, and he's oh, basically right. threatening them, saying that, you know, if the, they perform bad, they'll be replaced by their brothers, which are in the process of getting cloned. Um, you know, it's and- funny, though, even though technically musicians aren't replaced by clones, that actually is how that works. You know, it's like, oh, if you don't wow, do it, someone I else even, will. I actually didn't even think about that. That's oh, a dude, really that's, good call. Oh, my God. That, I mean, honestly, that's why, like, things like politics and the, the you know the art those certain kind of arts industries are really messed up that's why i don't like fire performing anymore too because there's always somebody who's going to do it cheaper for me, than me you know what i mean even though they shouldn't there's people that are going to undersell the market and make it so that your work isn't valuable because they'll do it for free for exposure or whatever you know if you're a flow artist listening to this don't work for exposure ever okay don't do it. I, we're an artist you know, of any kind it undercuts the value and it makes you not worth what you should be worth 
The fact that a lot of boy band artists decide to go their separate way in the end makes me wonder if there's an element of them not wanting to feel like clones. That they feel like they have been treated as clones and they want to, like, prove their independence by breaking off and doing their own thing to varying levels of success. Well, I mean, a lot of the time, those bands are just, like, actually put together by producers. Like, the Mon- you know, the Monkees, that's a classic band. They were put together by producer. Yeah, that so it was One action. Direction. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, when, when that's the situation... You know, I mean, it's not like they have any long-term friendship that they're trying to preserve. It's a job, you know, in a way, right? Yeah, no, this really is the perfect commentary, even the more that we talk through it. Hello? Hello? Whoever these people are, they got me and had me locked in a basement for a week. But I escaped. They also broadcast pretending to be me. The clue they gave was a lie. Disregard last week's clue. The real clue is this. You've switched these before, but how about once more? Four goes to two, and two goes to four. I need to keep moving so they don't find me. Don't forget, I'm counting on you. But uh, the producer leaves, and there is this great scene of Mabel meeting them. She doesn't care that they're clones. You know, they say that their dream is to escape, but they're worried. I think Mr. Bratzman is the producer that they're afraid of. And, uh, you know, Mabel says, well, if he loved you, he'd set you free. And one of them goes, that is a valid perspective. Yeah, and she it is. It is a valid perspective. Or at least you'd give somebody the freedom to do what they want. You know what I mean? You don't have to kick them out, set them free. I think people go too hard with that sometimes. Um, there's a little section <laughs> that we forgot to talk about, and it's a cutscene. Uh, in between this going on where Dipper is like trying to convince Grunkle Stan that uh, that all of this stuff is going on. And when Dipper walks up to Grunkle Stan to talk to him, he Grunkle Stan is singing a song, uh, Stocking Meat for the Apocalypse. Did you notice that? I actually did not notice that. And I Dude, he took was, a lot his, of the song that one. he was singing is Stocking Meat, Stocking Meat for the Apocalypse. He makes like three apocalypse jokes in this too. Well, I yeah, I caught some of the other ones, but that one I I, I did miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's just singing about stocking up meat for the apocalypse, which you, you know that's pretty crazy. I think this is crazy, weird. Uh, he's an apocalypse guy. I didn't know that about him. But anyway. it's expected. Let's be honest. Like you can totally see Stan as being an apocalypse guy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I wonder if that's like a, just a throwaway gag that he mentions it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so actually, Dipper has come to Stan with this problem, and I actually think that Grungle Stan is really awesome and sympathetic to Dipper in this moment. It is super there for him as a parental figure. He really is. And he tells a story. He, he wants to believe Dipper 100%. He's like, I agree. I think that music is totally subliminal messaging. And he tells a story about when he had his girlfriend stolen by this hippie guy when he was younger. And or she, like, grew out bell-bottom jeans and then, like, rainbows grew and they, like, they, there was a whole flashback scene. Rainbows grew and they, like, flew. And then as the flashback's ending, he says, the memories get a little hallucination-y at that end, but you get the gist. I did write that down. And I was like, oh. Oh, were they, Grunkle? <laughs> Again, they got a- that it... We- <laughs> With all the things that Disney wanted to censor, it's so funny some yeah, of the dude. things that are perfectly acceptable. I know, like in 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 the in the ghost convenience store episode, Mabel was practically tripping on acid the whole f- 
episode. Like, <laughs> what? And you're mad about somebody putting their arm around someone's shoulder? Get out of here. <laughs> it's so funny. But look, don't get me wrong. I'm so glad it's in there. So funny. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to turn up the Disney censors or anything, but I just had to, I had to, that, that made me very happy. And also, I, I like getting Stan background. I like seeing him younger and seeing what he used to be like, too. That's just kind of fun for me because I really love his character. Me too. And I mean, we talked about it a little bit quickly, but his whole incentive for telling this story is like, oh yeah, I think that that musician was totally playing like subliminal, subliminal music. Um, and and, I, and, I th- and the thing is, it's just like this. It's just the hippie guys are the coolest, man. I'm sorry. They just win. Like, I, I got nothing. To, that's just it. You know, that's peace and love. Like, you know, that's the best thing. I don't know why you wouldn't want guys like that. So sorry. How could how could you possibly know that as a boy band carbon copy? Yeah, see, I don't know, man. Those hippies are threatening to me. That's why. They steal my girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Stan, you know, he believes that all music has subliminal messages. And he even uses it in the Mystery Shack. So there's an awesome flashback. He just shouts into the PA, not even music, like, buy more keychains! And freaks out all of the guests and they run out of the shack. Funny. But, fun fact, I'm going to go on a little side tangent. This is actually very true about marketing psychology because all of the marketing psychology in grocery stores is based on decision fatigue. So the lo- you only have, a human being only has about 30 to 45 minutes of good decision-making capabilities. Isn't that sad? Anyway, <laughs> the pr- pretty much the grocery store is designed to keep you there as long as possible. So you start buying stuff that you don't need and spend more money than you actually need to. And they do that by partially playing music that's going to lull you into a sense of this is a chill experience. This isn't, I'm just, I'm, this isn't a chore. I'm hanging out at the grocery store. You know, anyway, we'll continue. Nobody cares. Lucas, I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes that as artists, we're like, this is one of our favorites that we've ever done. And then oh, we're, yeah. We're literally creating exactly what we are talking about in the episode is one that's not going to be the fan favorite but it'll be an artist favorite i was thinking about that too like we're really talking (laughs) about things that we're interested in today and that's awesome and i think that's great and i hope that that people think that too (laughs) yeah who who needs a topic who needs a topic um hey it's interesting stuff though you brought it up i figure people might want to know that about grocery stores you know Oh, don't if get me don't... wrong. Like, <laughs> in my opinion, this is great and everybody's loving it. I just, I've said that before and I don't know if it's always been the case. So, uh, <laughs> well, so it, look, I, no, we're doing, this is exactly what we should be doing right now. And I don't question it for a second. I want to keep going on these tangents because there's still so many awesome places that this goes. Speaking of which. Yeah, there are. Stan takes the dark CD and, or I think Dipper does. He tries slowing down the track, um, but he doesn't do it right or... Yeah, he's unable to figure out the right way to do it at that time. Well, it's on a DVD, and you can't just put it on a record player and do it backwards. So he tries it, and it doesn't work. And then somehow, I just want to say, somehow Dipper just converts this DVD music file to a record player in, like, an hour. (laughs) Like, dude, I have no idea how to do that. How did that 12-year-old kid do that in that short of amount of time? (laughs) So, wait, is it a DVD or a CD, though? See, it was a CD, and then he... Okay, converted okay. the CD to, uh, which also right, tells right. me that there's no way that it's cursed or whatever. There's no, cause like, how would any magic actually like stay on a burned copy of a CD? I don't think that we can think too hard about it. I, we could really like lose ourselves here. Cause where was, where did the converting of the disc happen? Did that cause something weird to happen in the process? Like, well, and how or- the heck did you do it for real? Like how does, 
That's a complicated... Maybe. Can you just have an empty record player and a system to burn music onto it? Like, that's Maybe a it was the CD. Setup. Maybe it was the CD and it doubles as a record in this universe. Maybe in this universe, CDs and records work the same way. No, Dipper said he burned it over. He copied it over to the record oh. so that they could reverse it backwards. Well, that theory is out the window. Let's go back to uh, the girls that have now walked into the Mystery Shack with a body bag. Tell <laughs> Dipper and Stan that they are criminals. And yet Dipper and Stan decide to just let them go about their business and completely go back to what they were doing. That is exactly what I would do. None of my business. Yeah. I don't want to know. It works. And meanwhile, the boy band has been brought into Mabel's room and they get let out. Uh, not long after that, though, the producer has tailed them to the shack. How did he find them? He followed the trail of frosted tips. And that's pretty funny also because um, I don't know if you know this, but when you bleach your hair too much, you actually like it. You could just pull it out because it gets so thin that it's just like, hey. And it's like straw and you could just like pull it out. It just like disconnects. So that's something that I happens mean, look, when you've bleached your hair way too much. I don't know the logistics. I just know that the like, boy band frosted tip stereotype is hilarious. Yeah, but well, they shouldn't actually fall out though, unless you've bleached them to hell. Like if you, if your hair is falling out, you've bleached it way too much. Oh, okay. So you're saying that this is That's inaccurate. part of the joke. That's part of the joke is that they've over bleached their hair. They, that it's literally okay. falling out of their heads. Sure, I just think it's a joke because boy banders have frosted tips, but I I hope that they did think that hard well, about it. I hope do you know did. what frosting your tips is? It's bleach. Is that, is that what it is? Okay, yeah. well, who cares what the process is? We just need to know that they have frosted tips. Well, they that's why it falls. It, people who care about hair, Alex, some people with class and culture might actually care, okay? <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I am sorry. I have to admit that I care very little about hair. I know little about it, but I hope that that does it for yeah, some people. Well, Hey, you know what? That's the thing that everyone's going to care about. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm glad. <laughs> um, Mr. Bratzman, after having tailed them, he walks out of his limo and Seuss is there. He asks, have you seen any perfect boys? And Seuss says, only if I look in the mirror. Up top. <laughs> I'm going to just spoil it right now. I gave Seuss a point, literally, for that line. That is his only Are you scene. Kidding? I'm not kidding. That is his only, only scene. I love that because I'm like, body positivity needs to be taught to children. I'm giving Seuss a point. That was epic. Dude, incredible. I felt the same way. It was like, what an awesome lot but for well, him to only show up and do that one thing. Seuss's strength as a character is actually through solid, impactful one-liners and bits. So you know what? I'm going to give him a point for nailing it so hard that it like stuck out that much amongst this whole episode. You know? I love it, man. Yeah. So, um, sorry to spoil it, so but I had to say it right when you said it because there's no other line where it will make any sense. Sure. Uh, well, the girls and the boys, <laughs> the boy band, the girls and the boys, uh, they are rightfully concerned. M Mabel has an idea. They can have their own pet boy band. And uh, Candy That's essentially and Brenda, the idea, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the first red flag for Candy and Grenda. They're like, hmm, I, I don't know about this. Um, yeah, and, but, and you get you can understand where it goes is where Mabel is, starts doing what the producer does not quite as bad because she doesn't treat them badly, but she still keeps them captive. Yeah, she just does it in her own way. And there's an amazing montage of her and a, a little bit of Grenda and Candy teaching the boys how to be human and drink water yeah. and things of that nature. That's pretty funny. Yeah, because the, they're not like, they haven't learned how to be people. So they'll like do things 
really weird. I, honestly, I don't even know how to describe it. You guys should just go like look at a clip because it's really funny and awkward. And I don't think I could even illustrate with how do you how do you draw, you know, a new human being in an adult like teenage perfect boy band body who's never like been a person before. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Major creative challenge. And I think they nail it. Yeah, um, they do. It looks just like that. Like, well, dude, as an artist, I bet that's a really fun thing to be able to think of something like that and being like, whoa, what are the physics? Like you really got to branch out of your comfort zone. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Like what things will they know how to do? What won't they know how to do? That's true. Yeah. And, and you could be, I mean, obviously we're suspending our disbelief a pretty decent amount for the show in general. So you could do some fun stuff with it. Sure. So as things escalate here, I'm going to stick with this plot for now. Mabel sort of says to, I think, Brenda and Candy, as they start to be rightfully concerned about how seriously she's taking this, well, every boy I've loved this summer hasn't worked out and I don't want it to happen again. Um, and cool character moment. Cool character moment. You're literally kidnapping people, Mabel. You are yeah. literally, you have five men, grown men that are older than you. That, like, I said Dipper's thing was cringe. This is, like, completely next level. Can you imagine if this was, like, a 60-year-old guy doing this? This would not be the same episode. You know what I mean? Like, that is a completely different plot line. It's way less cool. Um, this wasn't the cringe moment that you were talking about that you really hated. That's the thing at the end, right? Yeah, yeah, it is the thing at the end. Oh, okay, okay, so we're, we're But still... this is cringe, too. Okay. I wasn't talking yeah. about that, but this is cringe, too. It's not. It doesn't feel cringe because it's so funny, but, like, it still is, you know? Yeah, well, and what's interesting is, you know, Grenda and Candy try to do the right thing here and help the boys out, but it turns out they don't want to leave because Mabel has fully won them over. They are completely on her side. The best part is that they start walking slowly toward Grenda and Candy and snapping like the scene from West Side Story. And it's absolutely epic. I love that they went there. And this is an example. The reason you'd think, why would the boys defend Mabel? Because obviously they're all sticking up for her, trying to get him to go outside and, and do what they wanted. Stockholm Syndrome? No, not Stockholm, actually. Hedonic Adaptation. It's because... Whoa. Okay, we're going different directions. It's because before, the reason that they were mad partially was because they were treated badly and they were captive but now they're still captive but they're treated well so even though they're not set free they're like well this life is better we have improved so this mabel person is looking out for us because she took us out of a bad situation and gave us a better one so in their heads they're like well we can't abandon the person who actually did help us out and in a way it does and what hedonic adaptation is is the idea that if you get used to a certain lifestyle that becomes your standard. So like if you're used to sleeping in a bed, sleeping on the floor sucks. But if you're used to sleeping on the floor, it's fine. And sleeping in a bed feels like a luxurious, crazy experience, you know? So you're really close. That's Habitus by Pierre Bordeaux. Oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> yes. No, hedonic adaptation is another interesting thing. It's ever so, but sort of like along the same lines. It's more like once you experience a thrill of a new accomplishment and you get happiness from it, you stop getting happiness from it. Like if you live in a new place, eventually it just, you hedonically adapt to your current state and then you oh, need something sure. else to make you happy. Oh, um, okay. I got that confused. No worries. Mr. Bratzman was arrested for not having a back end license plate. Which is hilarious. Um, Cause he lost it at the shack when it fell off. Um, and good news. Now it's safe to release them. 
somewhere along the lines, uh, I, I lost the exact string here, but um, Grinda and Candy realize that when the producer's in jail, it's the perfect opportunity to release the boys. But Mabel says, I love them. And Candy repeats her words from beginning the beginning of the episode back. and says, if you loved them, you'd set them free. And uh, unfortunately, it does not hit her the way that it should. You'd, you'd think that Mabel would actually learn in that moment, and she actually doesn't. Yes, indeed. I'm trying to. I'm just going to tell everybody. I, I got to go, so Alec and I have to wrap this up really quickly. So we're just going to, like, speed through the plot and get to the end, if that sounds good. So let's talk Dipper and Stan. Uh, Dipper has... He realizes that the slowdown of the music is not going to do the trick. But by playing the track backward, he hears the words mind control uh, kind of show up. And now you said that you don't think that this was intentional. I don't. I, well, it's not that I don't. No, I, yeah, I think it's just accidental. I think it just sounds like that because you hear weird stuff when you play stuff backwards. Because if you notice, he didn't play the whole song. and It's not like the whole song had a thing. It was just that little bit. And then they heard that little bit. and They're like, oh, mind control. That's it. You know what I mean? And there was no That's point. Interesting. So, so, so then they think that this is it. So then they run to make out point or look out point or whatever. Where, uh, Wendy and what's his name? Asshole are hanging out. Um, yep. Yeah. And, uh, and he like runs up and tries to play the tape so that she can hear that it was that. And Robbie's like, tries to backtrack that this happened. He's like, no, I wasn't trying to mind control you. Uh, I didn't even write that song. And that is why she got mad. The reason she yeah. got mad is because he was just trying to cover his ass for, 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 honestly, he had no reason to defend himself against Dipper anyway, so it was silly that he panicked. But then he panicked and told the truth about how he lied earlier, and you notice there was no, like, spell that was broken. She just got mad at him because he lied, and that was it. There was no spell the whole time. I'm still not convinced that there wasn't a spell, but I do think that that is the more important message to take away. Now, it is interesting that this works, and it tech it essentially does what Dipper was trying to do. It makes her very angry, and she ends it with him right there. Uh, what doesn't go great? This is, is the cringe. This is the cringe, yeah. everyone. Say, to say it, is say it, the cringe. Immediately, she's so upset, and she's cry basically crying, and Dipper tries asking, Hey, so do you want to go bowling? Bad, bad choice, dude. Really bad. What? A terrible, horrible thing to do, people. And you know what Wendy says? It's the truth. Why are guys so terrible? And I ask myself this all the time. If you are a guy out there, don't be terrible. Please be nice to women. And like for and just everyone in general, but especially like for real. Like, why is this such a difficult thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't just turn it on like a switch. You know, do some self-care and put in the actual work that it takes to not be a shit person, I think is part of that. I guess people do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, you're right. This is a misogynistic America. You got, you got, to, you got to put in the work to change those norms. It's true. Anyway, um, yeah. Mabel gets a song. So <laughs> Mabel gets a song from the boy band. The boy band is like, "We love you, Mabel, and we're cool with the fact that you're going to keep us locked up forever." And then Mabel feels bad and lets them go. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, and they sing a really good song for what it's worth. It actually um, is a pretty banger song. Uh, but I'm glad that Mabel sort of like uh, gets to the point that she needs to and her Grenda and Candy stand outside. There's a nice moment. She sends the boys off and like animals, they just like escape into a bush, which is very funny. Yep. I think we see them at some point in the future. I don't remember, but they're going to come back. So um, as Points. the episode ends. Okay. As the episode ends, Stan tries comforting Dipper. Uh, but, you know, Dipper admits that he was wrong in this case. And um, then the boy the boy band eats out of his trash which is something 
And our end credit is them singing to a deer and one of them kissing a tree, which they expressed interest in doing earlier in the episode. Also hysterical. He says the word 2013 at the end as if they're trying to make a timestamp and remind people, if this doesn't hold up, just remember, 2013. No, that's that's a joke. That's like a boy band joke. And clearly it didn't hold up because people didn't, because you didn't recognize that that was a boy band joke. <laughs> Not for a second. Is that supposed to be like, do they, do boy bands like sing a year at the end of their songs? What's that? Yeah. 2020! This is brand new to me. I I do not understand. Yeah, you just yell the year it is and people freak out. It's like yelling your state. Yeah, welcome to f***ing Jamaica. Woo! Everyone loves it here! We're, we're the state! We're the place! It doesn't matter. <laughs> sure. Okay, well, Lucas, uh, you gave one point to Seuss. I'm assuming that you gave two points to Stan. Is that a crazy thought? That is correct. Stan deserves those points. Super funny, love his backstory, um, and, you know, he tried to help out Dipper for real. Did he do it for his own backwards personal backstory? Maybe. That's okay, though. He still tried to be a homie and was sweet to Dipper and tried to, and I like that. That's cool. He, uh, he just had so many hilarious lines. He was a good parental guardian in this one. I also gave my two points to Stan. Um, in your one? You know, there was even a line with Robbie where he's, he's telling Robbie the apocalypse thing that you mentioned. Hey, don't worry, man. Like, the apocalypse is coming anyway. Bury your gold. You buy gold, right? <laughs> so, of course. Oh, Stan yeah, that's is also right. a gold investor. Yeah. Um, so the apocalypse thing resurfaces, which is interesting. I also gave a point to Wendy. Um, not because nice. she was the best character of the episode, but I feel like after what she went through, she deserves it. And I did I absolutely that love that quote from the cold open. It was my favorite. So Yeah, uh, I did consider reason, Wendy. Same reason that you gave the one to Seuss for the awesome moment. I'm giving the one to Wendy for the same. I almost um, wanted there's... to take one away from Robbie. I considered it. Wow, just use your point to subtract from someone. I, That's I an interesting concept it. that we could explore in the future. Especially um, if he did now... try to hypnotize somebody because it's really messed up. But yes. Sure. So there's nothing in uh, Journal 3 of note that I could find today. But for Journal 4, I want to induct something which is just the basic premise of mind control in music. Um, if you want, we could expand it to mind control in media. I mean, I have a marketing degree, so this is a pretty no-brainer for me. <laughs> well, hold on, though, because I want to take it very literal, because I know what you're going to say, and you can interpret the way that you want. But... Um, I think that knowing that marketing psychology is a thing is very real. I don't think that's in question. I'm talking like literal subliminal messages that are there to brainwash a person into doing a very specific action, almost so, like hypnotism. So um, mind yeah. control. Let's let's think about mind control, right? Let's yes. say you wanted to control someone else's body. If you you grab them by or someone else's arms. If I grab your wrists and you lay limp and I move your arms around, it's pretty easy for me to control your body, right? Yeah pretty hard if you fight me though if you're like trying to sure. run away and trying to fight me and that's how music mind control works is if you're lazy and you're you know somebody who's pretty down to get lulled into making a stupid buying decision which i'd say like 75 percent of america at least uh then you're screwed yeah you're getting mind controlled all the time sure i just wonder about real 10 out of 10 real I'm not saying it's not real. I agree with you. I'm just wondering where the intention lies. Like, is there Making other money. music tracks out there that are saying things like, go buy this specific product? Or is nah. it more of a subtle thing? We're just trying to make you feel a certain way. I think that's, that's kind of what I'm writing. Well, because I've seen a hypnotist live and I was pretty won over. Like, I believe that hypnotism is like 100% real. But yeah. from what I understand, hypnotists couldn't get somebody to do something that really would like counteract their values in like a super blatant way. I mean, way. 
All the hypnotists I've seen is they get a bunch of people on a stage, and when they knock people out, not everybody does it. Some people don't, and the people that don't leave. Yes, that, that was my experience as well. And they could tell. The hypnotist would be like, oh, this person seems like they're not feeling it anymore, so we're going to let him go off. And in the end, there were only like a couple people, but they were yeah. so incredibly hypnotized, it blew my mind. And same thing. It's like, same with marketing psychology, you know? It's like, you're, you're, you're getting, you're, all you're doing is getting people to act who are, um, for like, some people want to make the decision anyway. Some people are just complacent enough to. But that's where you're just trying to get them to convert, essentially. So yeah, 10 out of 10. I think that's real. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 too. Um, again, even if I'm considering it being blatant, even if I'm considering that, you know, there are real messages being intentionally put in for specific reasons, I do think that exists. Oh, you I know, mean, if we're, if we're I, just I, talking general mind control, y'all should go look up MKUltra and some of the CIA experiments in the 60s because mind control is definitely something that there's some serious science in. Or that at least people have tried. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to that that we could probably get into. That the more. U.S. government tried very seriously to figure out during World War II. Yeah. Well, and that's what's interesting, right? Is did they ever really figure it out? Um, how far can it go? Could it go? I, you know, I think the good 10, questions. Good questions. That's right. The 10 gets rated for me just because I think that all those things are so on the table. Is it as likely as ghosts to be real? Probably, if not more. Um, I'd say more. Probably a lot more. <laughs> probably a lot more, to be honest. But like, again, I grade on a curve and I can't think of very many things that are going to top this as far as the believability for me. Yeah, man, let's just uh, read our cipher for the week. Um, it is Happy Now, Ariel, which is apparently a reference to Alex Hirsch's sister, Ariel. Uh, so it seems as though maybe he made this episode because she wanted some kind of a boy band thing. Uh, and I guess she's later said on a Tumblr post that she was, in fact, happy with the episode. And I think that's adorable. More sibling stuff. Um, oh, I wonder if Alex Hirsch, uh, if this is inspired by him and his sister's experience. Uh, we'll talk about that another day. This podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network, which has many other rewatches of shows and movies on their feed. You can see this podcast on our own feed or Dragon Babies. And you can find more of Lucas and I on Heiser Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube. Follow us on social media by clicking the links in the description. Uh, or check out our Discord. You can do a lot there. It's fun. Also, thank you to Tessa Scarborough for our cover art and Voice of the Mysterious Woman, Anna LaFleur. If anybody is still listening, you're the perfect person to rate us five stars on iTunes. All right, everybody. Thank you. We will see you next week. Happy sleuthing. Peace, guys. 